This is Werewolf the Podcast, a podcast about the role-playing game, Werewolf the Apocalypse. D20 Radio, your gamers www.d20radio.com Have you heard of high-level games? If you're a content creator looking to make your dream a reality, you need high-level games. High-level games does layout, editing, and development support such as Kickstarter and more. Even if you're not a creator and just want to enhance your game with exciting new supplements, go to highlevelgames.ca and check out Dark New England for V20. High-level games. We want to help you level up your role-playing game. Highlevelgames.ca Welcome back to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. One, it's been a little bit. Two, Jim Dealey is with me. We are going to talk about the very last pre-revised book, the last book for second edition, which is A World of Rage. I stole the name for our actual play from this book, which should tell you at least something about this book. But before we get into that, Jim, as my newly dubbed or one of the newly dubbed co-hosts of this show, how are you doing? Just hearing that makes me feel great. <laughs> I put in all three times you were casting off for a co-host. Glad the third time was a charm. Yeah. And uh, I am looking forward to this because I'd never read this book before. I I'd, I'd completely skipped over that one. And because I was mostly approaching world uh, werewolf as a player and not as a storyteller. So I thought this was a storyteller's resource and wouldn't be as useful to me. It is a storyteller's resource and a fantastic one at that. But I got so much about the meta plot out of this book. Yep. So much made sense to me that I've been a world of darkness fan for 20 years. It's like, this puts it all together. Yep. This is great stuff. So yeah, this has been a really good book so far. So for those that noted the co-host designation for Jim, it doesn't mean Carrie is going anywhere. Carrie is continuing as a co-host uh, because of scheduling. We are adding a few hosts, some guest hosts, and some co-hosting for folks because I have a plan to get this show done sooner than later. We have 46 books left to go, which is almost as many books as we've already recorded but my hope is we can kind of speed through books over the next year to get us close to the end of revised, maybe through W20. It's ambitious. We'll see what happens. I'm throwing it out into the ether. We might not do it, but at least I want to try to get into a cadence of getting things uh, recorded. Um, one for you, the fans, two for the patrons and me, because it will help my mental health. Um Let's talk about A World of Rage by the numbers first. Um, this book came out in 2000. It was written by Bruce Baugh, Chris Campbell, Jackie Casada, Nikki Rea, Adam Timworth. Ethan Skemp did the development on it. Um, art in here is by Jeremy Jarvis, Jeb Rebner, Alex Shakeman, Ron Spencer, and Melissa Uran. I want to, before we get too deep in anything, I'm going to talk about the things I am frustrated by the nitpicks I have of this book. And then I want to talk about the rest of the good stuff, because I think 97% of this book is fantastic. 
but the things that are bad with it, I'm going to front load because they annoy the heck out of me. One, this book was not written with a consistent style, tone, or outline. At, clearly. At all. Each section was clearly written by an author with their own vision of what each section should be about, even within chapters. And they go back and forth between in-character and out-of-character voice, which is obnoxious. It is also within chapters and actually once within a section, they switch between out-of-character and in-character voice. And it's clearly because someone else wrote that section because it needed to get finished and they didn't uh, do a, a deep enough development and editing pass to tie it all together. There are also problems where because of the lack of consistency of outlining, some authors spent a lot of time talking about history some history gets repeated over and over again, particularly about the Western Hemisphere in the movement of the native tribes to uh, North and South America. The repetition of the story that we got in Croatan Song happens over and over again. Yeah, I noticed that. I noticed I read that same thing three times. And I was like, I get that different people wrote this and were like, hey, I, I need to make sure that this is a touch point so you understand the connections here. But not necessary. And I, I honestly think this probably was a book of, of 1.5 drafts that didn't get fully uh, redlined and fully like um, worked through. None of that is to say that the writing here is bad by any stretch of the imagination. But if you're looking for a consistent book or content throughout, you're not going to find it here. Jim, yeah. negatives on, or, or any thoughts on the things that I've talked about that are the negatives? Yes, um, I agree. And you put it in words, what I was feeling in my head of, it's like, this is clearly not, it's like, there are some sections which are extraordinary. Give me everything I want. Give me who's, do, who's where, where the world are, what they're up to, what the worm is up to, What's the problems we can have you engage with that are loaded with story hooks? And some bits felt like they were a recitation from the CIA World Factbook. Yeah. And wrong at that. Yeah. I caught a glaring one back in the South America, in the Central America section that I want to call out specifically because it's like, how did that get through editing? But it's like this, it got to the point where I was just skimming when I hit to anything that sounded like population, territory, anything like that. And I was like, where are the guru-specific terms? Because yeah. I am in this for, if I want to know the demographics of this country, the CIA World Factbook existed in 2000, and it was still a thing. it is still a thing today, I can dig that stuff up myself. But as a storyteller, what I need is the stuff that only this book can give me, which is, where are the guru in all of this? Pull back the Scarlet Curtain. Let me see where the Garuer and the war is going on. The war is going on all over the world, hence a world of rage, which is an excellent title, and I'm glad you stole it for our game. But uh, the war is going on all over the world. Tell me, in this section of the world, what are the Garu doing? Yep. What is happening here? How do we get here is important, but more important than that is what is actively going on right now. And not just the Garu. And this is another critique is they 
do talk about the Farah here in this book and their involvement in key places, but not enough. It's, uh, it's places where they honestly should be a lot more. They don't get enough word count. And again, it's a, it's a concern because clearly authors didn't communicate like this is the depth I'm going to go in these particular spaces to dig in deep enough all around. And lots of word count, you're right, gets spent on things that aren't necessarily bad if they could be directly used as a story hook. But I don't need to know the grain outputs of a particular country. And we actually get that in one section. And yeah. someone had an encyclopedia. They were using it as a reference. They thought, oh, you know, that's a useful bit, a tidbit of, uh, of information. But anyway, all of that said, there are some little things like that throughout this. This is a really good book. If you look at this as a, a book that accumulates, that, uh, that collates all of the meta plot from every book prior to this, leading up to this, it, that, it, this book does an excellent job of updating to almost the revised era and giving you all of the background you need to play in any place that has a specific book already made for it. That is what constitutes the Metaplot and Werewolf. And honestly, the Metaplot and Werewolf is a little weird because it's not super strong. It's not like Vampire that has a very strong Metaplot. It's not as bad as Mage, which has a very weak Metaplot. But it, this particular book, if you want a Metaplot book, gives it to you for the entire world. Enough for you to be like, I'm going to play with these elements of the big story happening here. Um, so let's start with chapter one, The Americas. Um, chapter one is big because it's covering two continents and let's talk about Canada first real quick. Um, thoughts on Canada, Jim. I love this section. Yep. It's when this was printed it up first and I'm like, oh man, this is some delicious meat. I'm going to tear into this. This is delightful stuff. They gave me where the guru are, what tribes are present. They gave me what the worm is up to, what we're doing with it. It's like all of this was right served up on a platter, and I can I can pull any province in Canada and figure out where I can drop my guru in and fight the worm. That's yep. what I wanted. Yep. That's what I really wanted. And it was like, this is delightful. And it set me the tone to be disappointed by several sections of the book that followed because it's like, this was perfect. Why didn't you follow this model throughout the book? Yeah. If, if Canada was the model they had done for every single section of this book, it would have been a, an 11 out of 10 book for me. It would have been so good because this section makes me go, this is exactly what I need this type of book to do. It also has a great sidebar uh, about the metis and the meti and how the words are said differently and, and how the, they have different meanings and how they have different meanings. And it does so in a way then it's just like, hey, we recognize, someone has realized this, that this is an important thing to note. This, that level of, uh, of self-awareness is not always there in White Wolf, but they are very much like, yep, we're there. We, we understand that there's probably some confusion here. We're trying to disambiguate that confusion, which I'm thankful for. I want to skip ahead though, because Canada's good. It gives us lots of story hooks, unless there's a specific thing you want to call out. I, there is one specific thing I want to call out. 
Okay. And that is because it, it it reaches out and grabs the Dark Ages player in me and pulls it into Canada. And that is the section on Newfoundland, yep. which mentions where the where the Norse landed in America. And that section was, is a story hook that I'm going to make a book out of someday with Josh's help and the help of our friend who's actually a Dane and our and our dear friend Michael, who loves the Curlands tribes. And I want to find at least one solid First Nations, per, or more than one, preferably, to person to write it with, because I want to write the story of the encounter between the Norse and the Native Americans, and I don't want it to necessarily end as a blood-soaked avatar, because this is not how it necessarily, because yes, the world of darkness would lead us to believe these two people are going to cr- crash, but I tend to think the colony did not survive, not because of the natives and the Vikings antagonizing them, which I think is kind of stupid. You're outnumbered 100 to 1. Why would you antagonize the neighbors? The but- problem is, is that the Vinland saga says exactly that. Like, I am a defender of the Norse going out and actually not being necessarily violent with everyone. The problem is the Vinland saga is pretty straightforward that they were. And I also have tried to think like well maybe the norse weren't necessarily like particularly the greenlanders and the icelanders who were part of that colony weren't necessarily antagonistic the problem is is they tell us in their saga that they were assholes and i would be most interested in having a story told from a native perspective about that interaction and why they're like how they felt about these people because Again, in the Vinland Saga, we're going off on a tangent, but in the Vinland Saga, the Norse are like, they seem comfortable trading with us until we decide to start killing them. And it's it's like, I want to go back and slap a couple of people, like slap Leaf and slap a couple of other folks. But yeah, it's like, why you could have, if you had just stuck to the trading part, the Norse would have had colonies all up and down the eastern seaboard. And they would have had a steady source of all sorts of goods that you can't find in Europe and all sorts of goods going from Europe to there that they couldn't find. We could recreate history all we want. Um, but yeah, the, but, the, the idea is that. But yes. the idea of a story there for the Garu in particular uh, and Emir Sweat and this idea that there may have been some deeper connections between the Fenrir and the Native American tribes, there's lots of hooks of story there. I agree with you. Like deep going deeper into that would be interesting. I'm aware of at least one person who has written something diving into that fairly deeply. Whether or not it will ever come out, I don't know. Um, but some stuff is there. Um, let's fast forward because we can get stuck in a section too easy if we let Very ourselves. Very easily with this stuff. We get next to the United States, which this is the first section where they repeat the Pure Land story. I don't know why they do it here. They did not do it in Canada, but they repeat it here. And there's so much history here that is basically Croatan song that it, it sadly makes most of the United States section useless, which is... Sorry, I, w- I said I wasn't going to be super negative, but sadly, like a lot of people from the U.S. play this game. They're probably going to want to upset games in their area. This doesn't give you the ability to do that very well. Um, but 
yeah. it does give you some useful information about Albrecht and the seventh generation and that plot line. And I was happy for that because I think that is, uh, that is useful material that I'm glad they included here. Right. To see it summarized in one place was very important to me, mm-hmm. a huge Albrecht fanboy, um, to finally see it all like laid out nice. I'm like, who the heck are the seventh generation? I never understood that bit. And that's because they winked in and out of existence. Yeah. Because they, Albrecht destroyed, Albrecht found them, Albrecht destroyed them. Done. They were a big deal in Rage Across New York and a couple of uh, Rite of Passage and a couple of those really early first edition books. In here, they lay everything you need to know out and everything you need to know to either set a story during the time frame of Albrecht destroying them or, hey, this is the aftermath. Maybe you're sweeping stuff up. Maybe you're finding remnants of the seventh generation, whatever. It gives you enough to, if you're a storyteller, to do something with them. Or if you're a player that was like, hey, I want my play, my character to have been involved in this in some way, shape, or form. Right. You can do that. And too. there are, there are, three leaders in this book that I would follow right into Malpheus and Albrecht is one of them. Yeah. And that was, and that was one of those things of, I'm glad to see him in print and give him, give me more of it. They do a better job of him. I think in the Silverfang tribe book, which mostly written from the perspective of people talking to Albrecht. Yeah. So you get a lot more sense of his personality there, but we're going to get to that in like 20 weeks. Exactly. And (laughs) I love, I actually love that book, um, which would, will surprise anyone that's heard me talk about the Silverfangs, but I really love that book. Um, it is so one, I one of my favorite ones. My most frequently recited one as a player. I've gone way in depth on that as a player. As I said to Josh earlier this week, I can do that in my sleep. I look forward to that one. Yeah. And but, so the end of this U.S. section gives you a couple of key NPCs, including Albrecht, uh, Micah Farwatcher, and uh, uh, Fengch. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right. Battle singer. Um, I wish they did this in every section where they gave you a couple of key NPCs from the region that they're talking about. They do this sporadically through the book. And when they do it, it's like, this is super helpful for giving me a personality for players to grab onto. Um, right. Let's move to Mexico. And I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm moving fast, but there's a 162 page book. There's a there's lot a of material lot of ground to cover. Um, this was the first section where the National Geographic stuff sort yeah. of slapped me in the face. Oh, man, it's so I'm, bad here. It's like, I'm looking at this like, you're telling me a lot about this country, but nothing about where's the war on the worm. I, I'm here for the war on the worm. Yeah. Tell me about the war on the worm. And I, one more section of observation about the U.S. section that I wanted to make before we moved on. I think that they deliberately gave it a relatively low word count. I think that's on purpose. Maybe. Because... Seven, because if you think about it, three quarters of all werewolf games are happening in the United States. Nobody's going to be more of an expert on your local region than you guys. If you're setting, if you're doing the classic vampire thing of setting a chronicle in your backyard, you're going to, you're the local experts. And I think that's you, fair. I think they could have done a bit more of like, here are key steps throughout the country or things like that. Things that, that would make that would make me really. This is what I would really want from a book like this: is give me lots of. Here's where the sets are. Here's what they're up to. Yep, yep. They do yeah. that better in a lot of sections later on. They do, and again, like there's so much good in this book because they do do some of the things we're complaining about, but 
all over the place. Like Mexico does a good job of saying there are uh, these different groups, like the, the children of Gaia, the children of Gaia are everywhere in the world, come to find out, according to this book. Um, but the Bonars and the Glasswalkers, it, in some of the changing breeds, it gives us hints of things they're involved in. Not all of them are things that I can do anything with as a storyteller, um, but there's a bit of like, oh, they're involved and things are happening here. And these are groups that I can grab onto and maybe expand out from. Mm -hmm. So that's worth something. Yeah. Um, there, the few times they do mention sets, it's sometimes it's buried in a paragraph somewhere. Yeah. I right. found a section in the Canada to, to jump back briefly of a sept called the Stone Heart Sept. Now, as a storyteller, this is fascinating, but as a player, this is a useful bit of trip tidbit because the Stoneheart Sept is a Fenrir Sept that focuses on giving combat training to other members of other tribes. Right. As a player character in my most recent werewolf game, one of my long-running story arc troubles with, with Edward in particular is overcoming the fact that he's a suburban white boy who has no combat training whatsoever. If he knew the Stoneheart Sept existed, he might think, a crypto over there to spend a lot of time getting his butt whipped by Fenrir until he's a capable combatant. Right. But that's the thing is that these, there are little tidbits for players buried in here too, in mostly what should be a storyteller book. So yeah. there's value in this for everybody. And if it had been laid out a little bit differently, this would be a book I would actually hand most players and say, here's the stuff that most Garu are probably going to know about in the world. Like, most of this is high enough level that you could hand it to players. Some sections, yes, some sections, no, but hand it to most players and say, these are things that are talked about. These are legends these are stories that are out there in the world. Like Garu are storytelling people. Like a lot of this would be out there. Um, Especially when you're talking about living legends, like Albrecht, Golgolfangs first, right. the Margrave. Right. Living legends like these are talked about. Mm -hmm. So about Mexico, though, the, yeah. the only, there are a couple of things that I have, uh, there's not enough vampire here, which sounds weird, but this is the Sabbat stronghold. There should be a little bit more about the Sabbat and, the, and Pentex in Mexico here. Um, they don't go overboard with the drug war stuff here it's there's a little bit of it but like i actually like that they don't for once in a mexico section but there's also not enough of the there are other antagonists you've already set up being in this place kind of give me something on what they're doing yeah i mean mexico city strong heart of the stronghold of the spot the central location from which if that thing is said to have any organization at all, it flows out from there. Right. And 20 million people makes right. a large enough, chaotic enough municipality that even the Sabbat successes can be hidden. And we know, I think because of this book and uh, a different book that Mexico City has a, a fairly large Garu population for a city with that many like vampires. So like, I would have liked a little bit of a, a mini Mexico City uh, rage across Mexico City here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, a sidebar on that would have been fantastic, especially because 
with a city that big, you've got to have some kind of organization of guru in there. Right. Because even the Sabbat are not going to be capable of rooting them out entirely. Right. And again, we know Bonars and Glasswalkers at minimum exist in the city. Give me some, give me a sept that I can set here. And then if my players co- go to this place or if I want to talk about visitors from there, I have something to hook on to. Yeah. Central moving into Central America, again, we get a repeat of the history of colonization. I'm not against a history of colonization being present in this book, present in a discussion about Central America or South America. But again, we've this is like the third time. It's difficult to do that stuff without talking about it. Right. But the fact of the matter is, colonization was the defining historical element of the present day world in this section of the world in which we live is every one of us was touched by colonization and colonialism to some degree or another those of us who wouldn't be here if it weren't for that those of us who have been sadly affected by that and those of us who who are still suffering because of that right so all of that it's the defining narrative of this part of the world but we don't need it four times you need right. to get you, you're wasting word count on it at this point, right? Could and, be given, and you're not giving me again enough war on the worm. <laughs> and again, they give us tons of history here of these countries, which is useful if you know nothing about these countries. But if you're going to be setting a game in El Salvador, you're probably, in theory, you know a little bit about El Salvador, or you uh, have researched it on the internet. Even in the year 2000, you might go to the library in the year 2000 and uh, pick out a book on El Salvador. But why would you be running a game in El Salvador be, from this? You're not because, doing the homework on it. And, and you're not giving me enough in this to go, oh, there's a key plot hook. And I'm calling out El Salvador, but it could be Guatemala, it could be Honduras, it could be any of these countries. You're not giving me enough of a story hook here to say, I want to run this particular plot here. But that said, there are plot hooks in here. You just have to dig for them. You just really have to dig into them and go, oh, the Balaam are in this area because of this and that. And you can kind of work out a story. You can tease out a story. But it takes some working to really pull that out from the encyclopedia stuff. Um, right and but, some of the encyclopedia stuff is flat out wrong right and that's right. when and there's the one glaring error that just jumped out of me and this that jumped out of the page at me and smacked me in the face as i'm reading panama and says panama has a population of nearly 280 million people and i'm like what 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 you are telling me that tiny little strip of land has a population almost three quarters the size of the united states Five seconds on the CIA World Factbook confirmed that, that that somebody messed up their numbers there. I'm guessing that a decimal point got moved twice. Right, it shouldn't have gotten moved. Right, and um, that's like no. But if you're going to do all CIA World Factbook, please give me at least correct facts. Right, and this is no. But it needs to do more with this. It's like okay, so there aren't a whole lot of guru here. Why? Why? But, but then they, got... <laughs> but with that, they when they do give you guru here in Central America and in South America, what's fun is they t- they do tell you who they're connected with, who their kinfolk are. There are uh, these communities of Mennonites throughout 
Central America and South America. Um, Mennonites are uh, Germ uh, German Christians that are related to the Amish that moved from uh, Switzerland and some parts of Germany. Um, it gets complicated, but like there are particular groups of Anabaptists that moved to retain a more simple way of life. They specifically moved to the Americas to build these planned communities where they would be separate from um, certain elements of, uh, of technology and culture that they just weren't comfortable with. There are large groups of Germans and Swiss Germans in, the, in various places around the world them being connected with the Fenrir in these places is a fun little, like, how would you deal with this dual culturalness in the world of darkness that I find really fascinating? Like having a Mennonite Fenrir, because that is, those are two very different cultural touchstones. Yeah, they got a guy in here by that, like that. Right. Who I, Meister. Who I love. Like this is great and i think it's fun to have that sort of depth uh, a nuance it's um it, i just wish again i wish i got a little bit more of it because when we do get these fun little things it gives me stories to tell because i also really think that the, spain has never been consistently one uh, tribe of guru there usually at all in, and, in in the Iberian Peninsula? Yeah. No, because the Iberian Peninsula, Span, Sp Spanish as a ethnicity does not exist. There are multiple sub-ethnic groups within what we consider Spain. Spain as a united country is less than 100 years about, old. It's only about 500 years old. Well, the, it, yeah. Right, you're right. Because you go back to the Reconquista. Yeah, uh, when the end of the tail end of the Reconquista was in four 1490s so yeah it's only been about 500 years as a united country period and even then like there are splinter like groups within the country so like yeah but so, so it's like uh, well the reason i was asking that and following up with that is like that's where your european stock came from and if there wasn't a consistent tribal entity with that european stock that entered into the whole mostly of latin america then there's no consistency among the tribal ethnicities coming out of here. Right. And Which, that's why you should have, that's the thing that should that, be leaned that. into. It's another layer to then be like, there are, are multiple tribes here because of this, like, as well as there should be a strong possibility that there are Garu from Native American tribes here, not just the Farah who have Native American kin. We have them, they get talked about, that's okay. But like, it should not be surprising. We've already been told that the that older brother is present in South America. Give me some groups of older brother here, please. Like, yeah, it's that's like, okay. This should be a there should be a couple cairns of older brother scattered mm -hmm. throughout the region. There should be some den realms of the Balam throughout the region. Tell me about this. Yep. Why are you spending all this time telling me about these countries' economies? This and is they, not helpful. They do give you Balam info and the like a, another Balam NPC in this like this particular section and like good, but also none, not enough of the other best that get referenced. So like we get a reference to Kwame being in Canada earlier, but I didn't get the same depth that we're getting on the Balam here. And ah, 
it's fine, but I, like there's not a balance of, of what we get for these different groups. So that brings us to South America. We get the Bagheera uh, being here. Uh, interesting. Suara here as well. Uh, like, so we do get these references that there are other Bastet here. We get lots of information about the uh, encyclopedia elements of South America. We do get these little bits and tidbits of reminders that, hey, some of these countries are uh, majority non-Spanish-speaking uh, European ancestry. Like Uruguay is, a, I think it's like a 70 or 80% German descent country. It, they speak Spanish because uh, of colonialism, but like these countries are not, if you don't know anything about South America, they're not all your, what you might presume is a South American country. Um, that's helpful to know, but again, if you're going to set a game in these places, you probably know more already because you've been doing more research, I would hope. Um, and yeah, places well, it says here that Uruguay is mostly Spanish and Portuguese. <laughs> but that's not true. <laughs> so they're wrong. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's another story. Um, and I might be getting the, the, per, the exact percentage wrong um, because I'm doing, uh, you know, off the top of my head memory. So if someone from Uruguay is listening to this and is mad that I got it wrong, I apologize too. Um, but like... Brazil is a super diverse country. They don't quite get into that enough because they spend a little bit too much time on the Amazon for me. But it but, they also give you an update on the war on the Amazon. But so that's it's like the thing is that I want that as a storyteller. Right. I want that because right. the war on the Amazon, this is one of the places where we absolutely should have Guru. Right. Because stopping the deforestation of the rainforest could be... If I'm a guru from anywhere, that's the first thought I should have is let's stop them burning the lungs of the world. Let's do that. That sounds like a great war we can win for Gaia. And that they, is exactly what the war on the Amazon is all about. And they do a great job of updating all the NPCs from that section or from that uh, war who like those key figures and saying these are who the key figures are. These are, these are who you might interact with, including Gogol Fangs first, which is great. You have an actual legend who you yeah. can... Like that's the, pull out and use. Um, that's the second leader I'd fall into the jaws of Malpheus in this book, because it's like he's he's an Arun who thinks tactically, doesn't waste his troops, doesn't do, presents the calm face of the war. I mean, yeah. Interestingly enough, I think they have changed the way he is presented from the Amazon book to here, but okay. that is what it is. Um, I would not follow Gogol Fangs first anywhere, but that's okay. They do give you a, a, a Macaulay, one of the few Macaulay actual like named NPCs in here. I don't know that I would necessarily do anything with this particular Macaulay, um, but it is nice that there at least, hey, there are Macaulay here. You, here's an NPC that you can use. Um, it's good there's again lots of little tidbits you can you can sieve out of this section you've just got to work for it a little bit um and let's move to chapter two which is oh your, yeah which is eurasia 
which starts off with really good fiction about Elizabeth Jean Reader, who is a who is a glasswalker who is opposed to the cyber dogs, cyber wolves, cyber wolves. Yeah, cyber dogs. I've heard it. Yeah, but yeah, the ones the ones who take humping the weaver's leg a little too literally. Right. She is uh, trying to build alliances with the Shadow Lords and with other Garu to purge the tribe of the too far down the weaver uh, groups, the camp within the uh, Glasswalkers. That's super cool. That's like a super cool story hook here. And Europe, again, like there are parts of this that I think are some of the best material in this book. Oh, yeah. This is this is just you're you're taking an entire continent that has had an outsized effect on the world's history, to say the least. Um, anyone who wants to understand why that is should read Guns, Germs, and Steel, an excellent book that I read as in college. Um, and it condenses it into a relatively short, quickly readable section that covers and understands, makes it understandable that the one thing that is united Europe in all of the its history is war. What I like too is it touches on big moments in fairly respectful ways. It touches on the Holocaust. It touches on yep. the wars in Yugoslavia respectfully, but then kind of gives you enough, like if you are going to reference these historically devastating moments, how you can do so in this game, again, not gratuitously, just like these are things that would have impacted the things that are present in the spiritual reflection of, of the Umbra and other places within the world here. I think they do a really good job of saying, uh, of, for lack of a better term, making history playable or at least interacting with it in a way that is appropriate. Like it, there's always a balance there. I think they hit it here. Yeah. The whole, the, it, they gave a paragraph to the show. Yep. That was all that it needed. And in a way that makes you go, okay, if I'm going to reference this, this is a way to do so respectfully and, and make it make sense for your Garu characters to interact with that, that history. It, um, right. it goes, again, this is a, I like this, but I don't understand why it's not throughout the whole book. They do a tribe by tribe section here that was probably the best part of a really good section yeah it's and like, it's like oh yeah this is how the fiana would be are in these different places this these are like key people there's a I new arg rye like that's uh, cool stuff i i need that story hook like that thank Give you that. that again there's meta plot here in a way it's like oh yeah like thank thank you for giving me this right right and the thing is is that even the sections of this which kind of downheartened me because the silver fangs have been in decline in mainland europe for several hundred years mm -hmm. it's like even that's like yep i understand why this is and we're gonna try and reverse this trend maybe it's a little too late but we're gonna try and reverse this trend at least among the player characters and it's like but the section is like the four tribes are originated here no 10 tribes originated here. Read your Dark Ages. All of the all of the tribes except the Pure Lannis tribes and Stargazers are from here. 
This is the stronghold and the homeland of the guru, and we should absolutely give it due attention. And that's what they're doing. Is that I love this section, the um, the the stuff on the homecoming of the black spirals in Scotland, which tells me that several of my silver fang ancestors were successful in driving the the bastards out, almost to a, almost to a man. And then you tell me about what's going on in the battle for the Schwarzwald, in the battle for the Sept of the Blood Fist, that as a is a sept that has existed since forever. Um, they reference the in the in the big sidebar where they talk about how multi-tribal septs are not a common thing in Europe. Um, I think it's I want to say page uh, here it is fifty six my lucky number. Um, Multi-tribal septs had referenced the Sept of Sun's Glory, which you will see appear rather prominently in the second edition of the Dark Ages, because it was a sept that existed even then, and it was noted as the as one of the most multi-tribal septs in Europe where all the tribes were welcome. The clear intention in that book was to make this a point of origin for player characters, but we'll get to that in a few weeks. Yep. What um, I what I really like here, I'm going to move us a bit. Uh, I really like the meta plot um, uh, of the Margrave. Margrave uh, Yuri Konietzko is a shadow lord who has been making moves to take sensible leadership where it is appropriate for the shadow lords to do so within Europe. Is he potentially trying to make himself king of the Garu Nation? possibly but probably but even if he's not he is absolutely trying to take leadership where there is spaces for leadership that is needed and he is a really insidious in a good way character because he does not have evil intentions but he is absolutely a shadow lord who is going to do what needs to be done to win and it is a really good way of framing the Shadow Lords as knowing when to step up because he is stepping up into a vacuum of leadership. And that might get pushed back on. He might, it is left open in this, that he might actually support King Albrecht in the right situation. And that would be the best possible union of things is if King Albrecht could set aside his titanic ego and Yuri Konietzko could set aside his titanic ego, the two of them in a handshake alliance could unite two continents and the entire nation. Exactly. And if the two of them, if the one, if they, if the, if the Margrave was willing to let the willing to step back to the side and let and be the vizier for the, for Albrecht, then there's nothing the two of them could not accomplish with a combination of direct action and um, ruthless politicking, shall we say? Yeah. The perfect marriage in my mind is Albrecht as king and the Margrave as war king. Yeah. That could, that, that, that is a plot line that could be explored and should be because the Margrave, as I remember, is a theurge. <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah. And, the, they're both so good. Is he a theurge? He's either a theurge or a phy- Philodox. Regardless, he is not an Arun. 
neither Albrecht or him. Uh, is Albrecht in Arun? Albrecht is in Arun. Okay. Albrecht is, is the Arun of Arun. So he, is, he is the classic Arun. Okay. For some reason, I was trying to give him more credit for not being. But well, like, I, would lo- I would love it if he was if he was a Galliard or if he was a right. Philodox, because, but he's an Arun. But he's the, the Arun who sets the model for what is a good Arun. Right. There's lots of good stuff here. Uh, anyway, that was a point of like referencing. And I love the Margrave as a character because he has all of the nuances of the Shadow Lords built into him where he, yes, he could be a villain if he wanted to be. He could actively choose that and it wouldn't be out of character. But he is trying to be a hero by being the most Shadow Lordy Shadow Lord he can be. Um, and the other, but the, the only thing that makes me a little iffy on the Margrave is his overtures to the Red Talons involve the idea of reinstating the Impergium. Yes. Now, I, you could read this as Shadow Lord BS, but the way the Margrave plays his other cards suggests that he more than li- slightly believes this idea. Again, possibly. Like he, like I said, he could go and be a villain if he wanted to be. Like I think he's right there on the edge in several layers. He also, there's also enough of a hook to if you want to pull in Kupala and all of the Vampire the Masquerade lore about Kupala, you get just enough of a hook here to do all of that and dig that into was, the Transylvania by Night stuff. That was what I was. That was a, a head scratching moment. It's like, what? They let the Kupala out. You someone let him out. You <laughs> you have not read all of the Transylvania Chronicles. I see. Well, um, no, not the ones that <laughs> not the ones that ended the modern knights. And I generally did. I've generally avoided the story supplements because uh, I rather erroneously concluded that they would not have me anything valuable because they're meant for a storyteller running a canned campaign, and I don't like that. That's not my style. Never has been. That's fair. The Transylvania Chronicles are one of my favorite sets of books to read, just to read because they are really fun story. There's ridiculous stuff in them. But if you are a werewolf storyteller, I actually recommend going and reading the last Transylvania Chronicles book. And I think the second one, because there's material you can pull from for a werewolf game, either a historical one or one that uh, references things that are in the modern times from those eras. So there's some fun stuff there. Oh yeah. Let's move on. Um, Europe is largely exactly the thing that, um, that Jim and I mentioned, we wish we had gotten like all of these sections on Pentax too, that like what's happening. Some of the, the antagonists, what's happening, what are they doing in these areas? When we got that here, I'm like, again, like having this, style throughout this book would have made it perfect could uh, it, pick a style and go with it and it would have made the book consistent really really please because giving me both sides of what's going on except the blood fist yep. when you tell me what that there's a crazy black spiral prophet who knows that this sept must fall and to enact this prophecy and use this worm fetish <laughs> Now it all makes sense. Yep. Yep. Now you see both sides of it. It's like, that's delightful. That's delightful. Now I can send my pack with a clear, just counter vision to find this crazy black spiral and put him in the dark. Yep. 
it then gives us a large section on Russia. Now, this should not be surprising if you are aware of Rage Across Russia being pretty much the other big meta plot book of Werewolf. Like Russia is a key location in what does exist for the meta plot for Werewolf the Apocalypse. It is also a key place for World of Darkness meta plot. And it's not surprising that we get a big, long section here, except that, again, a lot of it is history that doesn't necessarily matter, except tangentially to explain what the Shadow Curtain is, and maybe to set a like a, a sense of like these are uh, remnants of a history that are important in the post-Soviet era. But this is really good. Like this section, really good stuff. It tells you so much about what happened after the fact, after the uh, uh, the war in Russia, in Rage Across Russia. That I'm like, oh, like this is how I tell a year two thousand story based on this. Or this is, in theory, most of what I could actually update to now and have it fit if I wanted to run a game in Russia now. For folks uh, well aware of uh, current events in Russia uh, and their invasion uh, of Ukraine, um, you may choose not to uh, play a game in Russia right now. I, I recognize that. But if you want to, this gives you all the material to do that. Um, it does have a postscript that I almost cried over referencing Putin and what the, the future might bring with him becoming uh, president. Um, yeah. That happened in the year 2000. And that was in the year 2000. We didn't know him like we do now. Right. So we didn't know him like we do now. And the, the thing about it is, is that you have to remember in all of this, in all the world of darkness, the greatest good and the greatest evil come from humans. Yep. We can't do we can do great and terrible things the likes of which none of the shape changers or night folk can ever imagine. They're, they're often in awe of our savagery, not the other way around. Yeah. And the, the contrast, the only good things built in the world of darkness tend to be human driven too. Right. The other so. great thing that this Russia section gives us is a list of cairns. And I'm like, my God, that was wonderful. Why couldn't you have given me this again for every section? I understand this book would have been much bigger. But again, this is the meat that is helpful for me to know what the gauntlet rating is at this cairn, what the totem is, uh, who, what the tribal structure of the particular sept is. It's and it's a lot of them. It's a lot it's a and lot a lot of, of pits. Russia is huge. And I get that. And again, if you're running a game here, you've got more than enough to be able to do so. Uh, it then gives you, again, a tribe by tribe. Here are the key figures. Here are the like things that these tribes are doing. Here are the camps that these tribes have present in, in Russia. It's like, hey, I'm you're giving me a Russia source book in the middle of this book. I wasn't anticipating. I'm, I'm, that. I'm here for this. I'm yes. so here for this. Yep. The third leader I would follow into the jaws of Malpheus is here. This is Queen Zamara, Queen Zavarovich. And not just because she's a purebred silver fang descendant of the Zavarovich twins, even though that would suffice for a lot of other silver fangs. No, what works for me is that she picked up 
the my previous leader dropped this thing, can't handle it. I'm going to pick it up and use it and make and make this happen. And I'm going, and it's more that she takes the things and moves with them. And she's very essential in winning the war, in the dropping the shadow curtain, all that stuff in Russia. And let's not forget, she's one half of the team that put down a Zami. Right, right. If you read that section, it's like, yeah. That's happened once. Once. Uh, this would have been twice. This, this, would is, be the, tw- that's this is the second time. Yep. Yep. And yep. it's not, it's, the irony is not lost on me that Quain Zamarovich is descendant of the two silver fangs who put down the last one. Right. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you've killed two out of seven. Right. There's two awake and active. That's a plot thread big enough that I can tie a noose in it and loop any pack I want. Because so much good story here. And again, some of this you could take and run in different places if you didn't want to run it in Russia. But like if you you have you literally have a whole chronicle of chronicles, you have a 20 or 30 year chronicle built into all of this stuff if you wanted to run one. Like absolutely if if I wanted to go back and run the run the rage cross Russia in its entirety, this would be a fantastic reference section for that. Because it brings it brings it in a nice relief. But again, we do that, and then we go into what the black spirals are up to, mm-hmm. what the vampires are up to, mm-hmm. what Pentex is up to. Please, this is what I needed as a storyteller. Yep. And the fact of the matter is, is that the war in Russia ended not with a bang, but with a whimper. Right. It's so like Baba Yaga didn't get killed by a guru. Right. You, we, no one knows what Baba Yaga got killed by. Yeah. Baba Yaga just vanishes and then, of course gets all the guru on edge because if we didn't kill her who did did? yeah and what are they capable of yeah I personally as a vampire person have been of the opinion that Baba Yaga is the mother of all Nosferatu that aren't Nick Tuku well and the theory from the Nosferatu side spoiler the theory from the Nosferatu side is a Nick Nick Tuku took her out or Absimiliard himself took her out. And if either of those things is true, holy cow, what does that mean for the Nosferatu? I remember reading there was a section on this. Uh, I don't remember which book it was in. I've read so many World of Darkness books, which actually went into this. I think it might have even been in the, uh, but that went into what happened to her. Mm-hmm. So The Week of Nightmares is a really good oh. book. Um, uh, two books, Knights of Prophecy and Week of uh the book is Knights of Prophecy. Let me get the books correct. Yeah. Um, there and Time of Thin Blood. Time of Thin Blood and Knights of Prophecy. Knights of Prophecy ties up Rage Across Russia by adding questions mm-hmm. and answering things that maybe should not be answered if you are running a Rage Across Russia game. So like I don't often tell people to go and if you're running a game, go and read a, another game lines book, but Knights of Prophecy and the section on Russia and Baba Yaga is very well worth reading if you're going to run anything in Russia. Because a lot of stuff as an ST, if you're running stuff, you know all the stuff that's happening in the background mm-hmm. that the players won't know. Right. The things that happen that don't make sense to the players because the world of darkness is... The World of Darkness is a shared universe where shared cinematic universes existed. And they do it so well when they choose to cross the lines 
that it's like, why didn't we do this more commonly and consistently? Because the war, the whole war in Russia could be understood as the guru of Russia combined to stop a fourth generation or even maybe lower generation, Methuselah Nosferatu, from wrecking their country. And the result is, wow, just, mm-hmm. Yeah, so lots there. Lots that to do there. Only brings us to chapter three, which is another big meta plot section, but this is one of the ones where it's in character. All of a sudden, everything's in character. And uh, that's confusing because- That threw it, me for a loop quite a bit because we're talking, we're now talking through the venue of a silent strider. Right, I think- yeah, I think it's a sound strider. It's not super clear. He, he did. We're not sure. We're not yeah. even made clear who the speaker is. Right. But most of this, most of the Africa section is a is honestly uh, to to bring it down to the core is about Blacktooth, the Simba, and about the Ahadi. That is most of what is happening in this Africa chapter. That said, it gives you bits and pieces of locations and places and key figures throughout Africa, but mostly in that um, southern eastern part of Africa. Um, So from Kenya, south is generally where we get um, in this section until it circles back up to the Middle East. We don't get lots on places in West Africa here, we do get a bit on Nigeria. Um, we do get a bit um, on Congo. Um, we the Ivory Coast, yeah, Liberia. Was- there are some like other places in Africa that you get stuff here, but mostly what we're getting here is those things that I've already mentioned. Right, and mostly it's cleanup from the death of Blacktooth. Right, right, and we- Blacktooth is one of those characters in the world of darkness that I'm like. Why couldn't you have turned your immense capabilities towards fighting the worm instead of fighting your fellow partitioners in Gaia? Because you perpetrated the slaughter of the Ahaba. You you could have taken that knowledge and done something more useful with it. Like, all right, Ahaba, you're now my favored servants or else. And you're now going to use the, them as an army against the worm or whatever. But I suspect that Blacktooth was more than a little bit worm tainted himself. Oh, yes. And uh, that's, you, why, that's if, why he did what he did. Mm-hmm. If you are not already excited about Apocalyptic Record, I recommend it. If you are interested in the Africa Blacktooth plot, because they add some nuance to that story in in the 20th anniversary edition stuff and particularly apocalyptic record that make me go, Oh, this is how I can use this now. Um, Backed it. it, Can't wait for it. (laughs) So just throwing that out there for folks. Um, We get into North Africa and Egypt and the middle East here, which of course is vampire territory Um, in the world of darkness. We get a lot about that. Um, We get a little bit on the Bubasti I would have liked, uh, actually, I like the Egypt section here better than the entire Rage Across Egypt book. Like, it's better than that. Um, But I wish I had gotten something more about the, about what the Garu are doing here. Like, we don't get a ton of what the Garu are actually doing here. And again, then when we get Rage Across Egypt, I, I 
we'll talk about that book when we get to it. I'm disappointed in that book, but it's the it's the once again, Africa is a domain of other pharaoh, right? And that is why I feel like the Africa section should be given more weight towards let's talk about the pharaoh in a pharaoh stronghold, right? Let's and, do that. And they give I, you, I've heard a lot about Blacktooth and makes me sad because the Simba are my favorite of the of the of the cat changers. I mean, of the Connor, second best, but they have their that their they have their own issues. Um, and it's the you give me all this. The, all the great cats are in Africa. All the great cats in Africa. The Mokali are in Africa. You've got Korax and Rokia and all up in this stuff. Why am I not hearing more about all of the above? Oh, wait, you limited yourself to the perspective of a narrator who speaks out of the silent strider mouth and doesn't know everything. Oh, wait, why did you do that to yourselves? Right. right Give me right. that omniscient third person again who knows what the heck is going on. Yeah. We got to roll. So, like, we get into the Middle East. I actually think most of this section is okay, except we really find out the children of Gaia are everywhere because, like, they're the only tribe here that get a regular reference in this uh, area. And well, historically, they're supposed to have come out of the Fertile Crescent. That's true. Um, so that's it's, it's like, but historically, like the urban tribes and like the Silver Fangs, they're a geographically diffused tribe. Right. But they but, shouldn't be absolute, but they shouldn't be absolutely everywhere. We should have Black Furies here, too. Uh, if we're talking about Greece is right next door. Right. We, we should have um, in some places we should have Fenrir, particularly if you ask me in Israel, you should have Fenrir here. Oh, yeah. Because um, you've got a lot of you've got a lot of influx of European Jews. Right. And those populations interbred with the Germanic peoples, with the, with the Celtic peoples. With and the, you should probably have Shadow Lords. You should probably have Bonars. You should probably have Glass walkers like i'm just saying you should have all of these groups here and it's mostly when we get garu referenced directly it's the children of gaia and again i'm okay with that but i wish i'd gotten a little bit more we do get a lot of really useful information about the middle east and uh, there's a good sidebar on islam very important very important if you're going to portray this accurately it gives a it gives a very high level overview of the important tenets of the faith what I actually would have been okay with is a sidebar, a secondary sidebar that said, that speak, that's, that said, this is how the Garu balance their adherence to Islam with being a Garu. And we, as we've referenced in other, another episode, there are specific sections in the Quran which state that supernatural beings can absolutely be Muslims. Right. So there's, why wouldn't that apply to werewolves? It, it would have been, uh, I understand they might not have had the writer that could write that. I would be really interested in seeing someone try to thread that needle um, respectfully. It would be really interesting to me. So that's just a note. It's on our list of books to write. Remember, Josh? <laughs> right. Um, this is a pretty long section that is mostly about modern history and uh, Saddam's wars. I don't know what I would do with most of this because I have no idea how the Garu apply to a lot of this, except it's about oil and about things the Garu might get angry about. But this is, this is again, a super textbooky encyclopedia. Once again, we're back at the encyclopedia complaint that we've had throughout this book. Yeah. You're telling me a lot about these countries. Great. 
where is the war, right? Where is the war on the worm in this, in this section, right? It was driving me nuts because it's like you're the ecological disaster of the war of the oils set on fire by Saddam as he's leaving and he lost and we, and the cleanup of, of the same, it's like that should have drawn multi-packs of multi-tribal guru from all over the world to do something about it. Right. Some fighting in the Umbra or something like, give me a hook there. They yeah. sort of play to it, but they don't give the hook. They talk about the hook and instead of giving it to you. But we got a roll. That brings us to chapter four, India and Asia. And this is really India and Asia. Most- it mostly is mostly India. about India and mostly India. And I, I think that that actually is really good because yep. India is outside of the realm of the Henge Yokai, yep. which is better covered in another book. Yep. And, and India, because of the, and Asia, because of the Henge Yokai, I think should be covered more thoroughly in a different book. But now you're giving me focus on India. And I especially love the section on the week of nightmares from the yes. guru perspective. Yes. I know about this from the vampire perspective because it's the harbinger of the, of Gehenna when Ravnos wakes up. Right. And he wakes up early and we have to do something about it. From this, from the guru side, they have no idea what this is or what happened here. Right. And I also especially love the little sidebar. Who's covering it up? Right. Absolutely it's everyone. such a great like, thing because it's just like, here's the thing. And oh, all of these groups act, were in the same place trying to cover up and steal stuff and they didn't fight each other. I'm like, oh, that's such a good story hook. It's such like, a good story hook. It's like, I know that guy's a vampire. Why? Because I saw him <laughs> sneaking files out of the Bangladeshi embassy. Right. After that horrible week, we had to clean up. <laughs> this section is filled with Again, you could have done this book this way and it would have been amazing because it's mostly just straight text of story hooks told in a fairly coherent way. Like, again, pick a style for a thing to do and you and do it. And I would have been really happy with this book. But like, there's so much stuff you can sieve out of this section for India that you're like, that I could run a whole game in India or like at least do a, uh, a segment of a story in India from this and have it be really relevant and interesting without even pulling in the stargazers. Like I wouldn't have to have anything to do with the stargazer here and it would be totally valid. If you want to do that in world of rage at some point, I'm hundred percent here for it. I'm not telling I'll you what's happening. My, <laughs> I'll visit my, I'll visit my, my distant relatives in blood red crest. I'm down with that. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, no, it's it's like India is a is a and their history is a favorite is a favorite topic of mine in general. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish that they had given more more head more more page real estate to Ashoka the Great, yeah. because that's a ruler that I think deserves a lot more attention and paid paid to him. Because how many rulers in history do you know who wage a bloody war? Look at the devastation that they've caused and say. Never again. I don't care the reason. Never again. And just turn up, do a 180 degree turn in complete opposite direction, and then spend the rest of their reign building peace. It's like this is a story that the West needs to hear and repeat. But anyway. So the rest of this chapter after the India segment gets into, uh, into first Mongolia 
and then China. And what I like about this is it gives you some key places for the beast courts and the Hengayokai. I think most of these are actually referenced in the Hengayokai book. So it's not necessarily new material, but what is good here is again, you get to sieve out some particular story hooks, some particular um, key moments uh, that are useful to have. It then references two books that if you're going to run games in this area, you should have. You should have the Hong World of Darkness Hong Kong book and you should have yeah. World of Darkness Tokyo because those books are really valuable to telling stories in this place. Uh, reminder to self, I need to revisit Tokyo again. Um, that may be relevant to things for me in the future. Uh, yep. But this, it may just be. <laughs> this gives you enough of like, I think, an overview of things to be useful. And it gives you lots of East Asia. Um, I wish we got a little bit more on Indonesia. We don't get anything on Indonesia. Um, yeah, that's, that's a huge country that you're just completely skipping over. Just a um, nitpick, but... And a general irritation nitpick is, once again, we've gone from an amazing section, which gives me lots of stuff to do in India, and now we've gone back to World Factbook again. Right. 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 It's like, come on, I'm not seeing the war. I recognize that there are not a whole lot of guru in Asia. And I, thinking about this, I'm like, wait a minute. But again, Why there are because there, there's we, a lot of uh, shadow lords, the Haken shadow lords. There's a lot of glass walkers. There's a lot of bone nars. There should be children of Gaia here. Like the one place you think they would be, they're not. Right? <laughs> there are stargazers. There's their entire tribe here that this is their homeland. Like there's lots more you could do here, but that's a, it is what it is. It's, it's just, it's just, there should be guru here. And if you're not going to do the guru here, then you should at least give me more about the Henge Yokai. Right. Give me more about this strange alliance of shifters in the East, which incorporates Guru and is apparently a big enough and organized enough force to pull the Stargazers away from the nation, which right. I think happens in early revised. Right. Uh, happened in a late second edition, even. So yeah. that's already happened. Yeah. It's that's like, that's like, this is a. If this organization is effective enough to convince the stargazers to say peace out to the Western Concordiate right. and join the Hangiokai, then I want to know more about them right. and right. understand how they're this is their turf. Tell me how they're fighting the war for the Emerald Mother on their ground. And this is not what they've done very well. Yep. It brings us to chapter five. Chapter five I has some of my favorite story hooks in Werewolf the Apocalypse in it. There's lots of um, fact booky stuff here. There's lots of uh, what I think are fairly decent. Hey, like there are Giru here, there, and everywhere. The, the return of the Bunyip here is super important. And what Kernunos, Child of Gaia, is doing here is, oh, wow, what the heck? This is a super key story, I think. If you ask me in the whole thing with the Bunyip, 
and it's sort of buried in here but if you're going to tell it really use this segment on anything you do with the bunyip because this is really this is the horror this is the uh the darkness of what can be done with cloning a supernatural spiritual being and why that's probably a bad idea um i'm gonna leave it at that i think the rest of this is mostly um that encyclopedia stuff oh we actually do get indonesia here that was my mistake i forgot that indonesia was here um rather than in the asia section interesting choice not bad um we do get a bit on the cons here it's like no okay because i only skimmed this section very lightly Mm-hmm. Because I didn't, um, I well, I got so wrapped up in some of the other good stuff that I didn't get it, get it, give it as thorough a read as I probably should have. But yeah, um, the Indonesian islands have a lot to offer. There's, and then we get Antarctica. We get Bonus. Antarctica. Bonus. Okay. Mm-hmm. The Antarctica section here, I wanted a little bit more. There, there is a real, there's a single really good story hook here. But what I would have liked is a lot, a little bit more prehistory of the Garu here. The island of Antarctica once was part of Pangaea, right? It would have been really interesting if they're like, we're going to do a, uh, a, uh, an ancestor vision here and tell you a story of a thing or a things or a couple of things that happened on this island when it used to have trees and animals and Garu. Or if not Garu, Makole or something else, right? Like some other sorts of beasts and creatures. They give you a really good story hook here that I like, but I, I could have used a couple of more because going to Antarctica is just kooky and fun because why else are you going to go hang out with the penguins if there if there's not some great secret evil hidden here? But I liked this. I, I was. I'm glad they tagged this at the end. Um, it's good. Yeah, it's. It's just. This is just such a wildly inconsistent book. Yeah, there are so many gems of glorious things here. I learned a lot about the werewolf meta plot in lots of places. Um, that. It made me think rethink my position on rereading some of these story books that I ignored because I was a player. Yeah. And I thought mostly this was not going to be relevant to me. I ignored it because I wanted to read the stuff that gave me more stuff with my character that um, developed my character. But there was things in here that could help you develop your character and your understanding of the world. And that would have been really helpful to me as a player to read this stuff. Agreed. I, uh, like I said at the beginning, I actually really like this book. It has flaws. It has really glaring production flaws more than it does storytelling flaws, right? Like the content of this book is one that I would, like I said, I almost give it to any player. I would definitely give it to any storyteller and say, you must read this book. So, I'm not even sure what metric to use for this, like um, 10 Gaia's or 10, 10 Earths out of Earth, uh, of 10. How many Earths would you give a World of Rage? 
I think I'm going to have to go with about a seven because there is so much good stuff in here. The sections on Russia alone, I read that like it was a good story. Yeah. It, I could not make myself skim this to prepare. It was like, no, I'm reading this. This is, this is fascinating. Mm-hmm. I finally understand what the Shadow Curtain is about. Right. I understand this is the werewolves declaring war on an ancient Nosferatu witch who managed to cut off Russia. I read the Week of Nightmares from the Guru perspective and was like, this is delightful. This is mm-hmm. awesome stuff. I read enough to be concerned about the Margrave more than I was before. And uh, yeah. And I think that there is just so much potential in this book, even 20 years on, that we could still pull things from this book and use them. And that's why I, but I cannot overlook the fact that they leaned too heavily on telling me about the places and not about the war in these places. Or the because people, of the, war. the people would have also been really useful here. Like, right. Uh, and they give you a little bit of that, but like again, a solid outline throughout the this entire book of what each section should look like in the sections would have been really helpful. And instead, I think a lot of it was left up to the writer to decide what to write for their segment. And that's a way to do a book, not a way to do this particular book. I think. No, um, I would have benefited some consistent direction. Yeah. Um, I also get the sense that this was kind of put together as a. Let's close up this part of the line because we're about to go into revised. Yep. And I think that that was, I think that some degree of rushing was part of the flaws herein. Yep. I would give this an eight out of 10, I think, eight Earths out of 10, um, because the good is so good and the bad is just, it's mostly surface bad. It's not content bad. There's, very little, if anything, that's that leaps out to me that's like a this is offensive explicitly thing here. That's that at least is not anything we've already talked about in Werewolf, you know, just in general. Um, the only other thing I want to add is most of the art in this book is kind of meh. It's yeah, not, it's not bad, but literally, there is not a single piece that stuck out to me as like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. It's good. It's like good werewolf art. There's one piece that I thought was bad, and that's on page 59, which I think is of a Fenrir destroying a bunch of Nazi stuff. But I, I hope know. that's what it is because but, I wasn't I wasn't but, sure what was going on with that particular piece. But this Fenrir has a hammer and sickle tattoo as well as a uh uh, I think a, a Fenrir like necklace around his neck. So maybe he's a Fenrir. That's a, a communist. I don't know. It. Um, I, I don't really know. And the tattoos on his face are not consistent with. That's those aren't Germanic tattoos. Um, right. They're not. It doesn't fit. So I don't really know. I looked know. at that particular piece of art and I was like, I'm not sure. There was a good piece of transformation art in where I'm a sucker for a good transformation piece yep. in the Canada section. Yep. But that was the only art note I made when I was doing this entire piece. And that kind of struck me as odd because normally I'm like, I'm a huge fan of werewolf art. Yeah. I know Ron Spencer is all over the place in here. And I, I think the big reason is there's not a lot of art in this book per page count. No, it's a 162 page book. 
And there are like sometimes five or six, sometimes 10 pages without any art. And I'm okay with that, but it's just something to note. We usually mention the art. I thought I would mention it. Um, we've given you our rating. I'm going to wrap this up. Jim, thank you for reading this book with me. Um, it was really helpful for me for running our game um, to revisit this book. Because um, it to, was named for this book for a reason. Right. I want to thank our patrons for uh, being patrons of the podcast. Uh, I want to particularly thank our patrons who are our $1 patrons because um, you uh, are the largest majority. And I just appreciate you saying, hey, I want to support you. Um, and I think that's great. Um, our higher level patrons, you're wonderful as well. But those uh, those $1 patrons in particular, thank you. Um, until we get an answer to the question of when will you rage, we'll talk to you again next time.